Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is Mark Agustinelli, your host. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the good folks at the Davis Companies, www.daviscoes.com. There is a talent shortage just out there. Labor participation rates are high, unemployment is low, and demand in this economy is still ripping despite what you read in the news. So if you're looking for help uh, finding uh, your next hire, reach out to the good folks at the Davis Companies. They'll help you win the war on talent, specifically in the engineering, manufacturing, and IT arenas. Um, today's guest is John Ruffini, a great guy that I actually met at a networking event, and um, John and I... Uh, really interesting career. Really wanted to make a go of his uh, songwriting and musical abilities, talents, and also passion. About the first 10 years of college, um, eventually through a nonlinear way, does find, a, find his way into staffing. And you can listen and hear all about that. But we talk a lot about some really intriguing topics, and including the importance of criticism. And, uh, and also kind of the, the importance of his network. He has a unique situation where his job changed on a dime after uprooting and moving his family. And um, he handled it with grace, but really talks about how his network bailed him out of it. And I think uh, there's a lot of lessons in this podcast. He's an exciting, um, he's an exciting person to talk to. And uh, I think you get a lot out of the combo. Enjoy. I think I should have a beer in my hand, but I have a seltzer and uh, John, welcome. I've got a cup of water. So, you yeah. know, we're both, we're both hitting it hard during the work week. We are. Welcome to Beers and Careers, John. And thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Um, John, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because we've got a, uh, as I told you, we have a number of interesting connections um, from our background. I had the fortunate um, is happening of just sitting to eat lunch with you at uh, ASA, which is the American Staffing World's uh, Conference, uh, American Staffing Association's annual conference in Colorado uh, about two months ago, and we hit it off. And but I blast. Loved, I, it was it was a blast. But I'd like you to introduce yourself. You're certainly within our industry, and um, I've had a varied career. So do you want to maybe take a shot at explaining who you are and sure. what you do every day? I'll, I'll 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 try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, I have been in staffing and recruiting for the majority of my professional life, uh, over 27 years now. I hate to say that. Um, uh, grew up on a perm desk, running a full desk, re- recruiting and marketing out of the IT sector, because prior to getting into recruiting, I was an IT professional. But long story short, um, held various roles with various large national slash multinational companies, uh, both in the local, regional, and national level. And for the past four years, I've been in the healthcare staffing market and worked for a company in South Florida called Health Trust Workforce Solutions. And I have been, well, I currently am heading up all the professional development for the organization. The last 10 to 15 years of my career has really been spent focused on training, mentoring, and developing talent within the industry. So that's where uh, that's where I get fueled these days, and, and I've got a team here that works with me that we do that for the whole organization. But obviously, my passion um, is is on the recruiting side of the house, so that's where mm. I spend most of my time. Very, very cool. And I, I'm I was excited to have you on because um, not only with your background being in our industry, and then kind of making the transition from running a desk to helping people run their desks better, I guess for lack of a better way of saying it. You also have uh, you have an excellent social presence. Thank you. you. Know, take into video and um, all right, absolutely. And, and I, I I'm interested to talk to you about that too. But before we get to that, I just want the audience to get to know John a little bit better as a person. 
And it wouldn't be beers and careers if I didn't ask you what your favorite cocktail or drink is. And beer is acceptable, but it doesn't have to be beer. Favorite cocktail, hands down, is an old-fashioned. Oh, um, man, I'm a bourbon. I, wish we were doing this I know. I'm, I'm a bourbon guy at heart, so uh, sure. I love me some bourbon. And the old-fashioned just always, that's my Friday happy hour, end of the week. We made it. Love it. Drink. Give me, um, because I also tend to be a bourbon person, I, I think that's my number one. What What is your favorite bourbon or your top two or three? Because I know, because yeah. I know people have it, right? You've got like your well yeah, bourbon, and yeah. you've got your, your special occasion bourbon. So may I ask? And, and you know what? It's it's interesting. Someone asked me that recently, and I was like, you know what? I always like trying different bourbons just to see mm. what they taste like. And I am not a bourbon connoisseur. Yes. Um, and if you're mixing it, it's not as critical, right? If you're drinking it straight, it is. Um, you know, I'm an easy guy. I, I will, you know, go with anything from a, a, a Knob Creek to, you know, I was a Maker's guy for the longest time. Yes. Um, so I'm still a big Maker's fan, uh, but I'll, I'll do Knob Creek. I'll do Buffalo Trace, um, mm. Woodford. Yes. I'm a Woodford yeah. Basil Hayden's Maker's Mark. Those tend to be what ends up in the. Yeah. The cabinet. Awesome. There you go. L- love it. Do you have a favorite curse word? I, um, well, I think it's often everybody's favorite curse word just because you love to use it, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> you can say whatever you want on this podcast. Oh, my God. I don't know if I want to because it That's might be. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's, That's that, fine. it's that one that begins with the letter F and yes. ends with a K. That's, that's yeah. you know, that's. I, Hands it, down. It's, it's it's multi it's it's universal. It can be used for enjoyment, for exhilaration, for negativity, for criticism. It is just a universal word. It is, and it is the beers and careers hand down leading candidate of favorite. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Which is statistically important, as you as you know. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite guilty pleasure other than a Friday happy hour bourbon? Wow. Um, do I have a guilty pleasure? I have a lot of things, a lot of interests, but as far as guilty pleasures, every once in a while, I like a good cigar. Ah, oh, like it. Yeah. I, I will, I'm going to call you the next time I'm in South Florida. Cigars and bourbon, I'm in. I was going to say, if you couple cigars yeah. and bourbon, you, you've got a really good night. <laughs> we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have had lunch together in Denver. We should have figured that out a little better. True, uh, very true. Now, I see you um, on LinkedIn. You post a lot of content about – I love your it's Monday, make a plan, work your plan. I, I'm, I'm certainly butchering the exact saying. What is the exact saying that you put out? Plan your work and work your plan. Plan your work and work your plan, which I absolutely love. Uh, it makes me smile every Monday when I come on LinkedIn and I see that you post that because I'm like, I got to do that. Um, but do you are you someone that draws any inspiration from quotes yourself? Like, do you, oh, sure. do you, have, a, do you have a favorite quote? Favorite doesn't have to be like the single favorite, but give me one that maybe uh, has resonated with you recently or sticks out to you. You know, one that um, I'm, I'm going to grab a notebook here because I was just looking yeah. some things over and um, I came across some quotes that I wrote down that um, a gentleman that works for a parent company in Nashville, Tennessee, his name's Ed Jones, and he's the CEO of Health Trust Pur- Purchasing Group. Okay. And he had said a bunch of things, um, and, and they really hit home. That's why I wrote them down. Um, you know, there, there's a couple. There's one that, um, you know, uh, let me see what I want to do. Hang on a second. 
So the quote that he, he said, and I always say also, um, I do a weekly, a weekly motivational or inspirational thing here at work every Monday. And I always end it by saying, be the best that you can be in whatever you're doing. Mm. And I always try to instill that into my kids and anyone, because it's like, no matter what your job is, whether it's, whether you're, you know, ditch digging or flipping burgers or running a company, just be the best. Um, but he had said something that I thought was really, really good. And that was embrace criticism. Mm. And, like and, that. and yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, if people criticize you, you want to hear that you want to get better. You want to, you know, decipher it and figure out how you can get better. And the only way to get better is by failing. But if people don't criticize you, um, then you'll never know if you're the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find that when you're uh, leading people and when it comes to criticism in particular, do you find that, um, and I asked this from a from a, it's a little bit of a leading question because I experienced it. As you're coming up in the ranks and you're embracing criticism, there's a balance between criticism affecting your creating too much self doubt, right? That the, the balance mm. of like, yes, I like, I, I think I'm in a healthier place now than maybe I was five or six years ago as I was kind of, you know, you go through those massive changes in your career where everything's broken or you're purposely breaking things to refix them because you sure. know what got you there won't get you where you want to go. But, I feel like that's an interesting dynamic, especially for people I've experienced in their 20s and 30s who have worked very hard to create a sense of dignity and self-worth through what they're doing. But now they're getting criticized and it's like the balancing act of you need criticism to grow, but you still need to maintain your confidence in what you're doing daily. You do. That's that's, And there, it is a fine line because you can overthink everything. everything. And if, yeah. if, if you start, you know, if you're not, you know, and, and that. People have to realize when they're giving criticism, they have to temper it in a way that gets the message across, but doesn't demean or destroy the person's confidence. So criticism, if, if given well, I'm a big believer in, hey, you're just going to get it straight as far as yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But I've got to do it in a way that says, hey, here's why I am sharing this with you. And here's the benefit versus just giving criticism. If you don't give me the why behind it then it's hard for me to take it to heart and say, well, that's your opinion. You know, so some things people have to be able to filter out. All right. What makes sense for me and what doesn't make sense? Because at the core of it, you want to maintain your authenticity and criticism should help you be a better you. It shouldn't cause you to become a different you, if that makes sense. It it does, because I, I think as you get used to embracing criticism, you start to be you, you get a better, um, I said to I, I I said to someone the other day when we we're talking about raising children I was like I feel like if you could just teach your children the ability to call balls and strikes in life like mm. call, like truly call something for what it is that is a skill set that will take them far no matter what and I, and I kind of I shared that metaphor with you because I feel like it's very applicable to criticism it's like totally. once you start to realize that this criticism is good for me as opposed to someone's opinion you almost start to crave it because you know it's just sharpening the axe. Oh, yeah. That's well, it's kind of like when, you know, in business, if you've got a client that's complaining about something that should be seen as a good thing. It's an opportunity because it, it's an opportunity to better service your client. And my my boss here always says, if your client's not complaining to you, they're complaining to someone else about you. And that's right. worse. So right. a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I don't want to hear it. We do the best we can. They should be happy. No, no, no. Welcome that. Embrace the criticism, because 
that allows you, to your point, it gives you an opportunity to step it up a notch and be even better. Mm, I think that makes a lot of sense. On that parlay, so I saw you started in, actually, what was your first ever job, paying job? First ever paying job? Ever, ever, ever. doesn't have to be so like the computer science. I was just saying, not, not after graduation, like first ever? No. Yeah, yeah, first ever I job. I was cutting grass. Yeah, cool. I, me, too, I, me too. Landscaping. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of Pushing mine. that lawnmower. You know? I love it asking is. that for people because it's you get some you get some classic Norman uh, uh, yeah Norman Rockwell right what am I why, right. why am I blanking on that on Thanksgiving <laughs> you get, it's like good God I I am I am someone who's ready for the four day break um, <laughs> I've been grinding myself to a pulp but I like that's just some classic Americana I love that yeah one totally job. it's like lemonade stand mowing lawns it's like the oh it was it was you know it was like Push mower. None, none of this yes. John Deere, you know, yes. turn on a dime mower where you can get right. it done in five minutes. Um, you know, I was I was hand cranking, pushing it, going up hills. Oh, yeah, it was totally. I, I still uh, I still at this point in my life, I do mow my own lawn just because there's nothing better than the instant gratification of an hour worth of work. It's just so so few things you get that level of instant gratification. Well said. Yeah. Do you do patterns? Um, do you do designs? I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I, I do stripes, but I don't have a striper. I have a colleague that's got the striper attachment for the back. You know, <laughs> our, 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 our water cooler talk is really morphed into landscaping talk. Um, I always thought but, that would be cool to, to get creative on yes. your own lawn and like different designs and stuff. Cause I always loved seeing that in like baseball outfields where they I do things good. pretty cool. I was gonna say Fenway is known. I think that I think the the green the ground screw at Fenway has a book out about it. Actually, get out. They, they took it that That's far. Cool. So, um, no, very cool. So you then I saw you get your degree in computer science, and you said you started there. As a yeah, software. I was a I was a programmer, software developer for seven years out of college. What what happened? How'd you get out of that? How'd you get in? How'd you, why'd you get out? Uh, got in because at the time I was too far along in my major to switch and do anything else, and I figured it was. Classic the safe play it wasn't yes. a passion it was the safe play that i could always find employment and it was that security thing it made my parents very happy um yeah. my interests were you know journalism and music and they're like yeah you can't support a family on that so i'm like well okay whatever so i i got the degree and i was a good programmer i was not a great programmer i mean my clients were happy with what i did but the the the, the trigger moment as i tell people is i work with other consultants as we called ourselves and they'd go home at night and rewrite everything they wrote during the day to make it better and more efficient and i just did not share that level of passion mm. um i also there was an aha moment where i love telling the story um i was i was developing a system this is exciting it would it would keep track of a parking garage for a client okay so how many spaces were taken up yes. how many, all that kind of stuff and the client at the time, you know, said, hey, can I see the source code behind that? I said, sure. So I brought it up my computer and he's looking over my shoulder and I'm stepping through what all the lines are doing. And he says, man, that's sexy. And I thought to myself, there's a lot of things in this world I consider sexy. Software code just isn't one of them. <laughs> so I knew at that moment there was something else I would need to be doing outside mm. of computer programming. Respect the hell out of it. I've got a really good friend who's been doing it. We, you know, he, we went to school together and he's out in Colorado now. 
and he is brilliant at what he does and he, he just loves it. And God bless. It just wasn't the long-term solution for me. I, I get that. How did you, uh, I love the self-awareness. I love the self-awareness. <laughs> I mean, right. Cause I think it's a, it's a common theme of the podcast. The podcast was inspired out of, I talked to so many people who just had nonlinear career paths and everyone, and everyone's getting kind of inundated with what you went through in college. Like do the thing, do the right thing, get the job, right. get the pay and do, and right. And then and it's so funny because I tell my kids the exact opposite. I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got two girls now in college. Yeah. And like the older one was really struggling with a major. And I tell my kids, I'm like, just find something you enjoy and the yeah. money will follow. I'm like, don't work. Cause she was overthinking it. She's like, well, I, I want to do this. And she was just thinking about money, just thinking about money and this, that and the other. And I said, what do you love? And she's an extremely gifted and talented artist. I mean, the stuff that she paints is ridiculous. Mm. And I said, what do you love? And she goes, well, I love art, but what can I do with that? And I'm like, you'll figure it out. So she ends up selecting, you know, graphic design and now she's doing phenomenal in school Mm. and loving it. It's like, I said, just, just follow your passion. Um, you know, I, I did not. Now I am extremely blessed and happy that I ended up in the career that I'm in because it's totally something that I love the recruiting and staffing business. Um, Lord knows where I would be if I truly followed my passion at the time, but yeah, it's all good. Right, right. You're 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 in a happy place with it. Did, oh, how yeah. did you how did you get the gumption to make the switch? Like you got the self awareness, but I'm guessing you're making good money being a computer programmer. You jump into our business, the staff. Oh yeah, I took I took a huge pay cut. <laughs> yeah, I mean like that that's that's not easy. No. Um, well, yeah, at the time into, you're, you're in your late twenties, early thirties doing that. I mean, that's not easy. Yeah. Um, this was, this was, uh, yeah, it was seven years in. Um, so late twenties, I'm married, don't have kids yet. Okay. And so yeah. the wife also worked at the time. So that was good. And we could, we could do it. I can make the switch because I took, I ended up going into a role that was hundred percent commission. I mean, you got to draw, yeah. but right. You know, you, yeah. you either feast or famine, Um, and how it happened is a great story because it happened by going to a recruiter that the software company I worked for hired people from and calling that person and saying, you know what, I need to do something else, but I'm not exactly sure what I want to do and what I can do. And he said, well, come on in and sit down. Let's talk. And he was the only recruiter that would do that. I had called other recruiters and all they would say was send me a resume. And I'm like, my resume doesn't say anything about what I want to explore. Right. Right. And no one would want, if we have something, we'll call you. I'm like, never mind. And this guy was the only guy who said, come on in, let's talk. And I spent about an hour with him. And the result of that was he suggested that I explore the world of technical recruiting. Very cool. And I went to work for that company. Um, and that person to this day is a good friend and trusted mentor. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Just someone who's willing to have a conversation. That's it. And and thankfully, that's how I was taught in the business. So, yes. you know, I'm I'm very thankful that I got schooled what I consider the right way yeah, as opposed to just exactly correct. Yeah. That's a uh, a classic theme in our industry. Huh? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's I get the balancing act of it all. If you're trying to run a company and you know that X amount of contacts get you X amount of deals, but uh, it's very short term thinking. 
Well, it, it you know, the I I am very anal retentive and very yeah. routine oriented. So when I first joined, I got the metrics talk. It was like, okay, this is the activity you need to do. This is how much you should be doing every month. Yes. And if you do that, you'll be successful. So I was like, okay, you've given me a formula. I love math. Right. I've got to execute and it should leave. And it worked. So, you know, I, even when I was successful on a desk and doing fine, I still made myself hold true to all of those rookie metric deliverables. Yes. Yeah. Because I knew now I wasn't just doing it for the sake of doing it. I'm also a believer that, you know, the end result is you focus on, are you successful? Well, it depends on if you're putting people to work because that's the end goal. So all the stuff you're doing is in motion to putting people to work and you need a certain amount of quantity to get the quality that you want. Obviously, the more you mature in the industry, the more that quantity starts to come from warmer channels. It does, it does but it's, you just nailed, I think, what, uh, man, I'm gonna, pro- this is gonna be a great podcast for people in our industry, cause there's a million of them just starting out, right? Um, because there is, right? There is a formula to be successful. But you started by saying the quote of be the best at whatever you're doing, or whatever, or whatever you're doing. And like, it's not just about being the best recruiter. It's like, all right, I have, they told me that if I make X amount of phone calls and have X amount of conversations, I'll be successful. But it's, it's being the best in each one of those phone calls, even if they don't have good results. You're learning along the way. You're doing everything you can well in the moment, which then leads to the end result, as opposed to the checking of the box mentality. Absolutely. Right? Because there's two ways to approach that. Yep. So, and there are plenty of people that I, I could never understand, like when people would, would use phone time as a metric. and. Yes. You know, recruiters would call some answering service and put it on hold so they'd get 10 minutes of phone time. I'm like, if that's what you're doing, you're missing the whole point. Exactly. It's not about the phone time. It's about what happens during that phone time. And you need to experience that phone time to get better at what happens during the phone time. So, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's so true. Have the character that's more important to yourself than really to the metric, right? Correct. that's, that's, That's what we're talking about. So how do you so you're doing this? How long are you running a desk for in our business? I never completely left it. Like to okay. this day, to this day, I get on the phone. Okay. I, I don't run a book of business. Right. But I never, by choice, I never wanted to lose that in-touch feeling with the market. So um, officially, I ran a desk. I was, I was, you know, ridiculously driven to be in some sort of leadership role. Um, I guess I didn't want to make as much money as I could in recruiting. Right. So a few years into my tenure, uh, I became a working branch manager. Um, but I, I, I ran a desk in some way, shape or form. Um, let me see. I'm going to date myself. I got into the business in 94. That's a long time ago. Um and I probably didn't officially come off a desk until twenty ten. Okay. All right. And then, and then that's when you started to make the transition into, uh, for lack of a better term, corporate that's when development I took on, training. Yeah, because even in, in a regional role, I was I was keeping some sort of book of business. Yeah. Um, but when in twenty ten, I assumed a national role for a company at the time to run their permanent placement practice. 
um, and or the direct hire practice. And I did that ever since then. Um, I haven't maintained a book of business, but again, as part of my training and mentoring of recruiters, I get on the phone with them, not just to listen to their conversations, but I will make calls and have them listen to me on the phone just so they can see that, you know, the one thing I always teach is everybody's got a different style. There's no one way to do our business, but everybody who's successful is usually grounded in the same set of fundamentals. And that's what I really emphasize, especially for new recruiters. No, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. How how did you start to so you get into leadership and you know leadership I, I I'm gonna make some assumptions but you seem like the kind of guy that is a servant leader I'm here to help you get better it's kind of I get that vibe from you maybe yeah. it's the bourbon and cigars when, when, but, <laughs> <laughs> but. when I when I was when I was a branch manager I always said to my team it's like look if I'm the biggest biller in this office something's wrong right right exactly right so but how did how did you then start to make like carve out the role in which you kind of you stand in today where you're so focused on really helping people now. So that's where the software world kind of gave me the start because as part of my role as a consultant for the software companies, we would teach clients how to use our software. Okay. So I found that I thrived in the classroom. You know, I was, I was the company's top instructor one year um, based on ratings that students would give. So I enjoyed the teaching aspect. Um, I didn't want to be a teacher, but yes. I enjoyed that. I'm also a bit of a ham, so I like being in front of people. Yeah, and right. that kind of gives you that that fix. I, I, I fuel myself on that. Um, but I like seeing light bulbs go off. I like seeing people, oh, wow, that, you know, I did that. You told me to do that at work, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of had that in me. So a company I was with from 2000 to 2007 um, gave me the opportunity to help do some teaching. You know, they were looking for volunteers. Who wants to do the sign me up? And that's when I started to get a taste of it and then started to um, develop content. I'm sorry. Yeah, 2002. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then building content and then transforming the content, making it better. Um, so it just kind of gradually morphed into a bigger and bigger role where, you know, that I found my niche for sure. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, it's funny how all of your experiences along the way kind of got you, you know, like the computer software piece, still valuable, right? Totally. Got you the technical and the exposure to the, the teaching oh, yeah. piece, and then it's all kind of works in its way. It's it's it's, it's hey. funny how many people I talk to that all of their experiences along the way, although they might not have been the perfect at that point in time, or they look back and they said, I didn't love that, but I did it. It all was worthwhile. Totally. All worthwhile, no doubt. What were you going to say? I feel like I cut you off. Um, no, what I was going to say was, um, you know, everything, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. We don't necessarily know it at the time. Yeah. Um, and I always say, like, when I first came down to Florida from Maryland, I came for a job. Okay. And it was my first foray into the healthcare staffing world. It was a sales leadership role, not mm-hmm. a recruiting leadership role. And although sales is part of recruiting, it is a little different when you're in 100 percent, you know, managing salespeople. And it was in an area of the country that I'd never lived in. So I was fighting. I got at a family back home with two girls finishing up high school. um, And fast forward 16, 17 months into that role. And 
we parted ways. It just wasn't the right role for me. Mm. And I was devastated because I'm like, holy cow, I've never been in that situation where I didn't succeed as much as was expected or as much as I expected of myself. However, then six weeks later, I landed this job. Mm. And had I not had that job, I would have never learned as much as I needed to about the healthcare staffing industry to immediately come into this job and be much more effective than if I didn't know the industry. So it's like as traumatic and painful as that experience was for me of, of not, it was the wrong job for me. It just was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, and it happens. happens. Um, but you don't want to believe that. You want to believe that I can do anything and I can make it right. work. Um, but, but as recruiters, uh, we know, as recruiters, we know right. people get mismatched. I mean, it's just right. how it works. But again, that experience allowed me to come into this role knowing the industry a lot better than if I had come into a cold and had to build a training and development practice while learning the industry. That would have been pretty tough. Was there a reason why when um, that role didn't work out, you didn't jettison back home and you stayed down in Florida? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I had uprooted Sorry. my family and sold my house. Oh, and- so they, your family had moved at that point in time. Oh, okay. they were they were down here, and you talk about a little bit of uh of looking inside yourself and and trying to figure out what's up. So they're down here. They came down in July. Yep. And in August, my girls started college on a Monday, and that Wednesday, I got called into the CEO's office with the conversation: maybe this isn't right for you. Hmm. And I again, I was in denial. I was like, you know. Dude, and of course, had every reason why it, it was working, um, but not for what you know what the, the cultures didn't mesh in hindsight with me, with them. Um, I didn't jive with their leadership team mm-hmm. and their great company. It just was not the right role. Initially, it's funny. They recruited me initially to be VP of recruiting, which would have been a great role. Mm-hmm. But then midway through, they said, hey, we like you, but we're going to put someone else in that role who's internal. Would you take? the role of VP of sales. And I was like, mm. yeah, sure. You know, yeah. and I, I said, just no, I've never done that. Never done healthcare. There's going to be a learning curve. So there was a lot of things involved, but literally my girls start college on a Monday and Wednesday I get that news. Oh, so I've uprooted my wife, two girls. I, you know, everything I've, I've, I've committed hook, line and sinker to Florida. Um, now my wife and I, had always talked about moving to Florida anyway. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, so I was, just was curious. We didn't know when, how, or where in Florida. Um, so I took that, you know, they gave me, uh, you know, a, a nice severance for the short time I'd been there and cause it was amicable. And I just took a really positive approach and I said, you know what? We're going to take these six weeks and my job now is to find a job. So yeah. I will be networking my butt off. But we're also going to take these six weeks to reconnect because we haven't seen each other for a year, except on weekends. So I embraced it and just had faith that everything would work out. Now, thankfully, my network was strong um, and it generated several opportunities, one of which, you know, I took. So it all, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very blessed. It it all worked out, you know, the way it was supposed to. It's it's amazing how that happens with a positive attitude. Right. I mean. I will admit I asked the question because we're both on Eastern Standard Time. It's 4.34 in the afternoon, and it's black outside my window, and it's sunny. I still got sunshine. (laughs) It's dark and 35 here, and it's sunny and 70 there. So I think that's, uh, like, opposite land. But, uh, no, that's that's really cool. Now, talk to me about – I see on your LinkedIn two things I wanted to touch base on. 
um, your music, your self-employed music, it says, and then, and then why, let's start with the music, but I also, I'm interested in the social, um, social piece, your live broadcasting, you've really taken to that. So I'd love to spend time on that, but talk to me about the music because it was a passion you had. Yep. You didn't necessarily follow, but it looks like you're coming through on it all. And I have not looked at your YouTube yet. I apologize. That's okay. Um, so I have always had a passion for songwriting. Um, first decade out of school, I really tried to make a go of it. Um, okay. it, was, it was the vested side gig, so to speak. Yes. Um, I was networking. I was meeting with publishers, producers, gigging here, gigging there, blah, 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 blah. It, you know, I, I got one song published back then, but it never got recorded. Um, but I learned enough about the industry. And, and then I found recruiting. I enjoyed it. I started to have a family. Not a whole lot of time. So I kind of shelved it for a while. Way. Yeah. And, you know, I picked it back up over COVID. I, you know, reinvested in a home studio and newer technology and, said, you know what, the beautiful thing about music is it's timeless. And, you know, I, I didn't want to start, I didn't want to stop writing. I just lost, I, I didn't make the time for it. So um, you're never too old to write music. And I started doing it. And I started, and through LinkedIn, I've met some amazing people um, now that I put that on my profile. Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing some networking in that. So it's still a passion. It's still, it's still a goal of mine to write a song that's good enough to be recorded and mm -hmm. become a hit. So, you know, I'll, I'll never stop. I'll never stop pursuing that, so to speak. So yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a vested passion of mine. I, I just love to write. And that's, that's always been a great way for me to, to channel emotions. And, and uh, not everything we do needs to have a dollar value associated with it, right? Correct. Well, I, I you know, I, I learned early on, um, well learned or whatever. I, I write for me. Yeah. And, yeah. If other people enjoy the music that I write, then I say, great, it's a bonus. If not, mm -hmm. that's okay, too. I, I, I've never been one that, you know, sat down and say, I'm going to write a song about a tree leaf turning colors in art. I, yeah. it, I, I usually had to be moved by something to. Inspired and then inspire, you. Inspire, yeah. Inspire and document kind of thing. Exactly. Now, I mean, that's what I'm trying to transcend because now I'm trying to transcend my songwriting to be able to write things that I don't necessarily have firsthand experience with. Mm. Oh, that's got to be a unique challenge. Interesting. Very cool. Well, thank mm. you for sharing that, that anecdote too. Now talk to me about, you got this weekly, is it weekly? Live it is weekly. Stream, weekly live stream with the staffing shark, who I also had the pleasure, uh, Mr. Richard Rosner of sitting Absolutely. with that day at lunch. I caught you guys probably actually working and I just interrupted uh, for the box lunch, but Talk to me about that. Like, what was the inspiration behind that? Um, how's that going? Like, you know what? So, it's so I, I think it's cool. Just for the it's record, it's a I'm lot of fun. Cool. I just think it's cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, um, from what we can tell, it's it's pretty unique. Yeah. So we like that too. So that and that's Richard's brainchild. I give him all the credit. Oh. All right. He approached me. We were, you know, we knew each other through ASA, and he reached out to me and said, "Hey, would you be? Would you like to be a guest on this?" I do some weekly live streams and then he said, you know, if it goes well, I want you to think about doing one on recruiting because I think that would be beneficial to the, the industry that we're in. So we, you know, we had some good chemistry. We offset each other well after that first show. Um, 38 shows later, right. we're still cranking. And this is like, we're not doing one this week for Thanksgiving and it, it feels weird. Um, yeah. 
So uh, we, we like you're doing here, we're not scripted. We bring people on. We try to touch different aspects of the business, but all in the theme of recruiting and staffing and, you know, to share some knowledge and help people grow. So it's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Oh, it's very, very cool. And I think it's such a uh, it's such a good platform to reach so many people. So, so quickly, right? I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal. And, um, you, do you look at it as giving back? Oh, totally. Yeah. That's kind of the, totally. That's the vibe I get when I, when I, um, when I see it. So very, very cool. Now you share with me, maybe I, I think what I love about having someone like you on the podcast is the whole professional and personal development component is, is kind of ubiquitous across all industries, right? We can relate right. it to recruiting and staffing, but in reality, everyone needs it. When you're weaving in and I saw, you know, you develop a ton of content for your internal teams. What are some of the, you know, um, what are some major themes that you try to impart upon people um, as, as you're kind of looking for ROI, you know, to help people's careers kind of get to the next level? I, what are you talking about with respect to recruiting or in general? I think, I think both for me. I, I was going to say more in general, really. Okay. Um, in general, I think the, the thing that I try and emphasize to folks, regardless of what they do, is they have to understand the why. And the why is twofold. They've got to understand the why they come to work every day. What drives them? What motivates them? Why are they working? You know, maybe it's for the paycheck. That's fine. But why are they working? Is it, you know, you got schools to pay for, you want a vacation, you want this. What's the why? Do you care about the passion of the cause for the company you work for? So you've got to have a why to why you go up and why you get up and go to work every day. And the other why is you've got to understand why what you do is important to the company. And I think, you know, what we uncovered here, especially, um, and I'm, I'm proud to say that my team is really making an impact in this, is there are a lot of pockets of the organization that were brought on, trained to do their job from a transactional perspective, mm. but they had no clue how what they did fit into the big picture. Mm. And so we've spent a lot of time investing effort in communicating that message, saying, hey, here's where your piece fits in and here's why it's important. And all of a sudden, we're getting increased productivity and more accountability and more ownership because now they get it. Now they understand that what they do is important and it's not just checking a box on a transaction. It's impacting the process. And if they don't do their job right, then the whole process fails. So that really whole why aspect is really key. Mm, that's it. That's interesting. Are you a Simon Sinek fan? Oh yeah. Yeah. Start with why. Yeah. We, yeah. we actually went I'm, to I'm, I'm, I'm eating. I'm reading, uh, leaders eat last right oh, now. Love that book. Yeah. What, a, what a great book that those, you know, it's funny too. You talked about, um, made me think of two books when you said, why do you come to work? And then why are you important in our company? I just read uh, The Truth About Employee Engagement by Patrick Lencioni, and he basically talked, excellent book. I'm like, I'm going to write it down. I have a joke inside our company that I, I, because I don't have my MBA, I got the Patrick Lencioni MBA, like the (laughs) (laughs) the ideal team player, five dysfunctions of team. I mean, I, I would say my favorite business books, for the most part, are Patrick Lencioni books. But this truth about employees. Well, he's Italian, so it's got to be great. Right, exactly. And uh, and a Bain guy. So we've certainly seen it from a consulting perspective, which I think helps. But he writes in parable form. It's a story. And then he oh, translates the story back into the business. He really, it just really engages your brain. You remember the story. And that one's about a uh, 
an executive who retires and uh, is going nuts, and he buys uh, a little pizza sub shop in a ski town. And, cool. and and tests his theories about business on what would be, you know, seen to a big wig executive as like, well, that's just some little sub shop. And he, and he kind of validates what what people actually care about. And uh, it's a really good book. Really, I don't want to steal that's this. That's really cool. No, I, I, I will pick that up. Thank you. I think you like it. So, uh, no, those are those are really good things. I think those are two good things for people like I was blessed to work for great people who ask those questions. And I think, you know, I don't think that if you're not getting asked those questions, it doesn't mean your boss isn't great. If you're listening out there, it, what it means is it's time to start talking about that stuff. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah you know, mind, mind for some of those things, because uh, you'll really find out if you're engaged in what you're doing and the people in your team around you are engaged. So um, John, any last words, man? I really appreciate you coming on. This has been. I could I could keep talking to you forever. I've enjoyed this. <laughs> I know um, this has been great. Yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed it. Uh, no last words. I, I appreciate the opportunity to 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 have a chat, and at some point we'll have to have this in person with some bourbon and some cigars. I I love that. Uh, th- thanks again for coming on. That sounds like a, a phenomenal reason to get out of the cold. <laughs> Uh, this, this winter, but, uh, no, really, thanks for coming on. I, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and, uh, I'll catch you soon, my man. Thanks. Take care. Take care, John. <laughs>